I think there's a, a turn from this technology based to re, I guess, reconnecting with the hand work, mm-hmm. reconnecting with creating, reconnecting with that, that sense of satisfaction of creating something for yourself. Welcome to Remodel Your Life. We are shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan. Good morning, listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest, Mary May from South Carolina, who's going to talk to us about wood carving. So thank you so much for joining the show, Mary. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I know you've been doing this for a very long time, but why don't you give our listeners like a little background of kind of how you got started and uh, maybe even where you got your training. And I think you've been doing it almost 30 years, right? Maybe. So uh, maybe kind of give us a, a snapshot of how you got into all this. Sure. Well, I originally got interested in carving when I was over in Europe. Um, I had been traveling around um, as a college student. And I was just absolutely enamored with the uh, carvings and the stone carvings and the wood carvings and everything in the, uh, the cathedrals and the castles. And, you know, um, I was just mesmerized by it. And at the time, I didn't really even know that it was being done anymore. I thought it was one of those things that I was, uh, you know, born about two or 300 years too late. That's (laughs) kind of actually what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I thought, okay, is there even anybody who teaches it? And I really wasn't even considering it as something uh, seriously to do. When I got back to, I was uh, living in Minneapolis at the time, um, I got back and I actually looked in the yellow pages and I'm not even sure if there is such a thing anymore. <laughs> yellow pages. It's now Google. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I looked in the yellow pages under wood carving and I found a company called artistic wood carving studio. And I thought, Ooh, that sounds like what I'm looking for. Cause I really wanted to focus on learning that very traditional, very decorative style. Mm hmm. So I called up the number and Konstantinos Papadakis answered the phone in his very broken Greek English. Hmm. And he said, oh, yes, come on by on Tuesday evenings. He's teaching classes. So I started and I knew within about an hour of being in his shop, I thought, oh, I want to do this. I mean, just the smell and the and all the tools everywhere and even the dust. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is this is my world. That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, I ended up studying with him and learning that very traditional European style of carving. And I just knew, I thought, one way or another, I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I was thinking at the time that I would probably be starving most of the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, just I, I wanted to do it so badly that I was willing to uh, pretty much, you know, sacrifice whatever I needed to do. But, yeah, and that's that's pretty much how I started. He was the one that kind of opened the door there in that very traditional design. And so how many years have you actually been doing it then, since then? 
I kind of lost track, but I think it's getting up to about 27 years. Wow. And yeah. Yes. So I'm, uh, yeah, I don't see me stopping either. I, I mean, it's, there's, there's so many things out there that still need to be carved <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm not actually, I, you know, I was concerned when I first started getting into carving and actually when I, when it turned into a career, I was actually concerned that it would end up, I, I would end up losing my passion for it, losing my interest because it turned into a career. Fortunately, 27 years later, I still absolutely love it. And every morning I get to get up and say, oh, goody, I get to carve. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So what other training then did you do? I mean, you learned enough from him, like he was qualified enough to be able to sort of, uh, he was good enough that he was able to teach you basically everything you needed to be able to then just practice the rest of your, of your life, basically. Is that kind of how it worked? Um, he was the one that sort of uh, got me going, got me interested in it and really got the preliminary um, training done. Uh, then I had an opportunity to go over to England and study at the City, City and Guilds College. So over the next couple years, I, I studied with Constantinos for three years. And then I just went around. I, I went back to Europe and I was just looking for more teachers. I wanted to get as much different teaching as possible, because I think when you have one teacher only, I think you can kind of get stunted into just what that person teaches, that style. And so I was really interested more on learning a lot of different styles, uh, that still that European traditional style, but different techniques, different different ways of drawing, different ways of carving, and different even different tools to use. And so I really, I spent the next couple of years just wanting to learn a little bit more uh, diverse designs and uh, methods. So I, I, I probably had maybe three to four different teachers, um, but it was a combination of schools and also just simply working with somebody and using that work experience as my education also. Because it's very difficult to find schools that still teach this, or even individuals who still teach this. Most of the European teachers out there, the European master carvers, you know, they're in their 70s, 80s, sometimes 90s. And, you know, so I'm, I'm really, really hoping that what I'm doing is going to be bringing this back into a more popular interest for younger people. Uh, that's my hope. Yeah. So what were you doing to make money while you were doing all the training and stuff? Like how were you surviving during that? While I was actually working with Constantinos, I was actually working as a desktop publisher. And I don't know if you're familiar with back when the original computer graphics were starting out, that was, they were called desktop publishers, <laughs> um, the sort of first generation of computer graphics. So I was a, a computer artist. Um, while I was studying with Constantinos. And I ended up uh, having a job at the school that I actually um, learned from. Uh, at the, it was at a technical college up in Minneapolis. And um, I had a job making learning packs, basically using drawings and making them so they're more readable and everything like that. So that was my world while I was basically in the afternoons, evenings, weekends, or any other time spare that I wasn't working, I was carving. Hmm. And I was laid off from that job. And I say I was fortunately laid off. Most people are, oh, no, you were laid off. But <laughs> I was so happy <laughs> because 
they actually gave me severance pay. And it was right around the time when I was trying to figure out how I could actually transition this career to something very responsible, like a normal real job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where I get a regular paycheck, to jumping headfirst into this wood carving. And by being laid off, I pretty much didn't have much of a choice at that point. I thought, okay, here I have severance pay. I'm going back to Europe. And mm. I took that severance pay. I paid for a semester of school. I worked also just here and there, just to, you know, odd odd jobs, uh, just to sort of pay rent and, and actually have money for food. But yeah, I, I sort of lived on that severance pay for several years and um, ended up pretty much just trying to get as much as I could during with, with a living on a very, very tight budget. You know, that's where you're eating ramen noodles and uh, ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do you remember what you paid for the city guild? I think you said, you know what? I do not remember. That was 20 years ago. Honestly, I I don't know. (laughs) But are are they still in business? They are. Yeah. They still have training of the very traditional styles of carving. They do wood carving and stone carving, and I think they're actually getting, they're they're changing. The structure of the school is changing a little bit in getting to be more contemporary modern art, but um, they still have that area. It's probably one of the only places out there where it's actually, I think, a two-year program where you learn uh, nothing but wood carving. It's very hard to find that kind of training now. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of part of the reason for the show is to let people know that would be interested, like, where do you get the training? Because it is really hard to find training. And, you know, when you and I first started, it was worse because there was literally no internet, there was no way to connect things together. And so yeah, just, you know, helping younger people know that these resources actually are out there is really important, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, After you got out of the city guild, how did you transition? Like, how did you know how to make a career out of this? Like, what were you, you know, like I build kitchen cabinets, so it's pretty obvious that I can make a living doing this. But what was your first thing you did where you sort of went, okay, I know how to, I know all these skills now. Now I'm going to try to figure out how to make money consistently. Like, how did you do that then when you first started that? Right. Well, after I came back from the city and guilds, I ended up um, moving down to Missouri. Uh, much of my family was moving down there. And I, I went in that direction also to escape the, the Minnesota snow. <laughs> And so I honestly, what I did was go around to uh, woodworking companies in the area, and it was around Columbia, Missouri, and just knocking on their doors and saying, this is what I do. You know, would you consider presenting these ideas, maybe a fireplace mantle, um, maybe some carvings on some furniture? Would you consider presenting this to your clients and start opening up the door there? And so I I didn't have a lot of work when I was living in Missouri. It was very hard to get the the odd job. I was doing a lot of sign carving. That seems to be what I think what people more associated with wood carving is, okay, well, you carve a sign, uh, which is fine. And I did quite a lot of that. And I did some furniture, some custom carvings. There was a, uh, a guy in in Columbia, Missouri, who became very, very wealthy over making song jingles, you know, like the advertising jingles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
he was a Missouri Tigers fan. So I ended up carving a big bar for his his man cave um, <laughs> with big giant tigers as uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> that would have yeah. been a fun project. Oh my god, do you still have pictures of that of lions as cor- as corbels? I, I do, I do. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Well, <laughs> listeners, we'll put that in the show notes. That would be. I would love to see that because I. I mean, I use corbels, you know, all the time with islands and stuff like that and overhangs. So, uh, I bet those are amazing to have built those from scratch. Would be incredible. Yeah. So that, yeah, just every once in a while, those jobs come along. We're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really get to challenge yourself. Yes. Yes. Well, and and so I I didn't really do very well in Missouri. Um, just because, um, you know, the area wasn't really into that kind of very traditional style carving. So I ended up moving down to South Carolina in hopes of having, you know, just because of the history down here, you know, the restoration of some of the homes down in Charleston. Um, That's what I was sort of expecting a lot of work from that. Um, But it ended up actually being more uh, newer homes wanting, you know, fireplace mantles Mm. or uh, something custom carved in their big, uh, you know, oceanfront properties. And so I was surprised, actually, that Charleston itself didn't have a lot of the the wood carving restoration because a lot of in Charleston, a lot of it is plaster work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I was surprised at that. But I've done quite a few like reproduction fireplaces and that type of thing. So, and again, in Charleston, it took me probably two or three years to just go around and talk to people and talk to architects and talk to designers and talk to builders and furniture makers and say, I'm here, Mm -hmm. um, I'm available to do this. And so they didn't realize it was even being available they would go and buy these off of the internet and it would be mass produced or maybe even plastic or something if they wanted to put some type of decoration. Yeah. And that's what I do. That's what I do still to this day. That's yeah. I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought that someone would actually know how to do that from scratch. (laughs) That's that's what I had to educate people. And you know, this is what I do. And then not only educate people that I was available, but also, it took a while for them to trust that I could actually do what I said I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a portfolio is only so good. You have to actually prove that, well, did you actually carve that? Oh, or? my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many times have I come across that? You? You're the actual person that did the work? Yes. Right, right. Not your and- husband? <laughs> <laughs> So it was a real education process of, listen, you know, this is what I do. And so I got a, just a, a few clients who really, really got to trust me. And pretty much then they started talking to their clients and saying, look at, you know, if we're doing this fireplace, why not add a little bit extra and, and have a custom carved detail on it? Or, you know, if they have a family crest, um, mm-hmm. have that carved, something personal. And so it took a while for that to to open up. It, it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of um, hungry, <laughs> hungry <laughs> days. <laughs> but uh, but it was worth it, and I don't regret anything. And so, how did you decide like what to charge? I assume, you know, in the middle of all this, you're learning how to run a business. You're learning how to start a business from scratch, and it's your first business, so that's even harder. How did you kind of learn how to turn it into a profitable business and figure out, you know, the pricing? And, you know, I know a lot of our listeners are people that work in their garages or work in a single studio and are, you know, barely scratching by. And 
would love any advice you could give on just how you developed your business and how you figured out the pricing and how you figured out how to be profitable. Um, Cause that's a, not only are, you know, as you know, it's, it's a lot to learn your craft and then it's a lot to learn how to make a living off of that is a whole other thing. Right. Well, I, I'd say probably the biggest thing to think about and, and really focus on is flexibility. Um, because if you're not flexible with how your business is run, you're just going to be kind of stuck in a, okay, this is the only thing that I do. And this is the only direction I'm going to go. Economies change, the, the industry changes. And if you're not flexible and able to move with it, uh, you'll be left behind. I mean, the whole thing with my work is the CNC machines are kind of taking over the real production carving. Okay, so I had to sort of steer and direct, okay, well, instead of doing like mass production of something, do more one-off things, one one-time design, specialty designs. And then the internet opened up a huge opportunity for doing the videos, the, the instructional videos. Uh, going back to your original question about the, the pricing and the, how to just get, oh, get going in a business is uh, there were many, many times where I made far below minimum wage mm -hmm. <laughs> on a job. <laughs> um, and that learning, that sort of learning curve of trying to figure out how do I do this and actually still pay rent. But um, I think once you get to the point where you can, well, you're more confident in the work that you, you're doing and your clients are building more trust and more confidence, then you can probably be in a better position to name your price. Uh, it takes a while, though. And there are times when you just sometimes you just have to price things to get the job. And at, at the beginning, that's pretty much what I did. There are many, many times where I would be working on something and I would be finished with it. And I, I was almost try to calculate. I actually stopped calculating my hourly wage just because it's too depressing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the um, you know, you calculate, okay, well, I guess that average is down to about $10 an hour because it took a lot longer than I thought. And then you say, oh, but I still have to work on that because it's, it's your integrity. You know, it's, it's your reputation. If you send something out that you are not happy with, it's hmm. going to come back. Right. Um, and that is one of the things, actually, one of the best advice somebody gave me was do not let anything out your door that you are not completely satisfied with. And, um, you know, if you're looking at it saying, oh, well, it'll do, mm -hmm. don't let it out your door. Right. Um, he said it will always, always come back to bite you somehow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's true. There's a couple of times when I, you know, I try to and it does. And yeah. it's very interesting. Traditionally, when I'm talking to people who are working in studios, they usually say, and I try to do this now, I try to base my hourly shop time uh, between $40 and $70 an hour. I know that's a big range, mm -hmm. but again, it depends on yeah, <laughs> well, it depends well, on the, the complexity of the job and, and a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there might be some jobs where you just say, Oh, I really just want that job. Right. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, sometimes I make up to that, but most of the time I make less, mm -hmm. um, just because of the nature of the business. It's a very time consuming process, but, um, you know, that's sort of the, I guess 
what you call the industry standard is you want to make sure that you have a base shop time. And that mm-hmm. that's not only carving, that includes designing, that includes uh, prep work, everything. Every time you're actually physically in the shop, that's what you're charging. But I, as I said, you know, the flexibility is probably the biggest is because everything changes um, and so many so many things change and, you know, opening up the door with the, the videos when the economy sort of slowed down, what was it, six years ago? Right. That's when I started online school. I had a lot of time to think. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have a lot of time to think, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So how <laughs> many days a week are you usually in the shop then, would you say? I am in the shop. It really depends because I do a lot of teaching, um, actually physically going and traveling and teaching. So when I am actually home working, I'm out in the shop five days, five Mm -hmm. days a week. But about a third of my work ends up being physically teaching, actually going out and teaching, traveling. Um, I'm even going to Germany this year. I'm excited to say. Mm, Exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so a third is that. And then a third is working on commissions And then the third is making the videos for my online school. Now, sometimes they sort of overlap because if I have a really interesting job coming in and it's a videoable, videoable. Right, exactly. You're (laughs) going to film that. Yes. So that becomes part of the school. So, you know, it's a nice balance so that nothing gets overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's very possible that if one of those... (laughs) thirds (laughs) ends up um, sort of taking over and becoming too much. That's when burnout happens. And I really, I love my work so much that I just can't imagine putting myself in a position where I'm going to burn out on it. Right. Is it, Mm -hmm. um, how physical is the carving like on your hands and like your upper body strength, your shoulders, that type of thing? Um, it's, it's surprisingly not a lot. Um, I do a lot because I stand when I carve. So I actually sort of lean into the carving Mm -hmm. and um, actually use my weight to do a lot. Um, Now, um, my husband says when I give him a back massage, he's actually in in just agony. (laughs) Because your hand strength is so good. (laughs) He's like, no, stop. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Thanks again for listening this far. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about a product I just love that helps support this show. Hey guys, it's Happy Wednesday and I'm opening up my latest Blue Apron box and I was thinking about a couple of other reasons that I absolutely love it and I wanted to kind of detail what's in my box that I get to open up every single week. One of the things I love is that you get these three major things in every single box. So for instance, you're going to always get a pasta, a rice, potatoes, a grain, something like that. So you're going to get three or four of each of those. Then if I keep moving around, I'm going to get a whole bunch of fruits and vegetables. And I'm going to be introduced to fruits and vegetables I've actually never even seen before. Like this week, I can see that there's a pear here that I've never actually seen this color of pear. It's a slightly different shape. I love that I get introduced to really unusual different things, right? 
And then on top of the grain or pasta or rice that you get and the vegetables that you get, then there's this super cute thing called the knickknack package. And along with every single recipe and a recipe card is this little package that's filled with all the smaller items or anything that's really unusual, like saffron threads or truffle butter or cornicones. I don't even know what those things are. They're like these little spicy seeds, all kinds of things I've never really cooked with because they're either expensive to buy in bulk, right? Or they're unusual and I don't know if it's gonna work. So I love that I get this knickknack package. It's my favorite part because it always has the kind of unusual exotic stuff in this little bag. And then further down at the bottom of the box, all perfectly separated is all my meats, right? And so I can tell that this week I have a steak, I have some pork and I have some shrimp. And I love the variety of that. That's another reason I really love Blue Apron. And you can also choose vegetarian or pescatarian or omnivore. You get to really say what you want or don't want. And I love the flexibility of that. For like almost an entire year, I got vegetarian just to see what would happen and to see the variety of the recipes. And they were fantastic. And my husband, who was a complete meat eater, didn't even really notice that we were eating vegetarian for that entire time because the recipes were so great. That's just another thing I was thinking about that I love, the variety. I love all the different things in the box, beautifully packaged, and it's always delicious. And so I absolutely love Blue Apron. If you guys think you might be interested, please consider it. It takes all the hassle out of it, all the extra expense. You get all this variety and you get some amazing recipes each and every week. They basically streamlined it down to the absolute best parts of cooking. That's why I love it. And if you want to experience this Blue Apron style with me, just head over to remodelyourlifepodcast.com forward slash Blue Apron, and you can get $30 off your first order and be right away cooking some of these great new recipes with me. All right. Talk soon. So one of my questions was going to be, um, what's your favorite? I mean, it sounds like you love so many parts of it, but kind of like, what's your favorite thing about the actual carving? That's a good question. I mean, I love I love the challenge. And even now, after 27 years, it's it's still a big challenge when I just get something that I haven't done before, or you get a, a, a client who just really challenges you with, um, let's try this and let's, uh, let's make it this much more elaborate. And, and I love that. I also think you sort of get different satisfaction for different things. I, I mean, the actual feeling of accomplishment when you've achieved a design. But then there's also that wonderful satisfaction of when you have a class and you have a, a student who's sort of broken through that, that fear of mm -hmm. picking up a chisel and making shapes. And you can see it. You can sense this at the beginning of the class. You can sense this hesitation. You can sense this uh, you know, caution of, oh, no, I, I'm not sure if I'm even holding the tool right. And once they get past that, it's almost like breaking through a wall. And all of a sudden you just see this, you know, chips are flying and, <laughs> and you can see that just wonderful sense of excitement in their eyes. And uh, I love that. And so that's a big part of it is just seeing other people as excited about this as I am. <laughs> there are other people as crazy as I am out there. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. 
what would you kind of recommend then to someone, uh, you know, a young woman who maybe wanted to get into this? What would you recommend now? Because obviously things have changed, you know, quite a bit in a couple of decades. But what would sort of be your instruction outside of her taking, obviously, your your online class? And I know that you wrote a book last year, which we can talk about. But other than that, what kind of would be your recommendation for her? Well, the, the online school, uh, again, getting started with that, that's really probably the easiest way to get started if you don't have anybody locally to take classes from. I've got over six hours of free lessons, and that gets you started with sharpening and just basically how to hold the tools, and there's a couple beginning projects. And that really is enough to get you going, and it's enough to get you to see whether it's something you're really interested in, whether it's that magical spark that happens when you're working on it. And then you can go further. The uh, The premium membership to my online school just right now, I think, has over, I lost track, 350 different videos. And so depending on where you want to go, what direction you want to go, whether you want to carve faces or animals or a campus leaves or designs or architectural designs. Anyway, so you can go in many different directions there. Now, if you have somebody locally who teaches, there's a, there's a few people out there, but it's, it's hard to find. And that's where, you know, if you happen to be in an area where you can take, you know, evening classes or even, um, I mean, many of the classes that I teach and actually physically go to teach, they end up being week-long, like five-day classes or weekend classes, and that's that's sort of the best because you really end up having that interaction. You know, video is one thing when you're watching something on online, but to have that one-to-one interaction with a teacher and a student so they can catch you when you're maybe starting to you know make a wrong cut or or correct you or steer you back, that really is the best. Uh, and then sort of the next best is the videos. And then learning it, learning carving out of a book, as you mentioned, I just finished a book last year. It gives you a lot of instruction, but ideally if you had all three, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, that yeah, that's, that's actually what I was thinking. Yeah. As well. Yeah. If one doesn't, uh, doesn't work, then go to the next, <laughs> go to the next. But, um, I would say, Ultimately, if you just have that time to practice and, you know, spend like a minimum of an hour a day and just practice and practice and practice, because the more time you have with the tools in your hand, even if it's, you know, just working on your own, playing around with it, experimenting, you don't have to share what you've done with anybody, (laughs) just do it on your own. Hmm. But it's the time with the tools in your hand that just causes you to discover a lot of things and things that you would never really learn unless you actually physically got involved. Right. What's your favorite wood to carve? My favorite, I've got a couple favorites. The The old growth mahogany, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not really available very much these days. Walnut is absolutely beautiful to carve. Um, it almost burnishes, you know, you have this sort mm-hmm. of sheen after carving it. Those two are pretty much my favorite. Um, for students, for beginning, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that because they're quite hard. So for beginners, I always recommend either basswood or butternut. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fast food is probably the most common that you see out there that you would see, uh, you would be able to probably find more at like, um, some of the, um, wood carving supply stores, that type of thing. Right. I also wanted to mention if you, if you have a wood carving club in your area and many places do, you just have to be able to locate them. That's sometimes a difficulty. But if you have a, a group of people who get together, um, a lot of times they do the using the knives and the and more whittling and that type of thing. But it's 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 not necessarily necessarily the style that I do. But you know, there's always um, people who who may be interested in that sort of decorative style also. But even doing using the knives and using the whittling knives and that type of thing, it's still wood carving and it's still teaching a lot of the techniques. Mm -hmm. It's just using different tools. So it's a, that's another way you could actually do more interaction with other people who are interested in wood carving. Nice. So what <clears throat> so what are your favorite tools, to, your favorite chisels to use? I like the long-handled ones, the ones that are full length, the European brand ones, the uh there's quite a few out there that are like German, Austrian, Swiss, uh, but they're the anywhere from like nine to 11 inches long and mainly because of the safety issues and safety and control. Because I basically, when I'm carving, I have both hands on the tool at all times. There's never a chance for my hand is away from the tool and I'm going to cut myself. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of control by using two hands. Uh, you just get more control over how to make the really delicate cuts and, and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, those are the ones that I was taught with. And those are the ones that I just became comfortable with. Yeah. So we'll put those in the show notes so people can see the actual brands. And cause I think, you know, I definitely found in my career that having the actual right tools, the best tools, um, uh, mm -hmm. make you such a better carpenter or a carver or a whatever that thing is, the having really poor tools, you think it's you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, it really comes down to having the best tools that you can make, make all the technique just go further. So uh, I'm a very strong proponent of buying the actual correct tools, not just any chisel or any hammer. Uh, mm -hmm. And so yeah, we definitely want to put that in there. Let's shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about maybe some of the trends moving forward. What do you see in the industry since you've been in it for so long? Uh, you would be a good person to kind of talk about, you know, what do you see in the industry? What frustrates you about the industry? Or maybe what, are, you know, what direction do you think that the industry is going? Do you have any insight on sort of the wood carving industry from your perspective? I mean, it certainly evolved. Um, as I said, the CNC and laser cutting and that type of thing is is very, very typical of where people go to get these um, the, the mass produced pieces just for you know basic decoration. I think it is ends up being more of an education, and you know that as I said before, the sort of that customized. You know, if somebody has a family crest that they want carved. A CNC is not going to do that because it's a one, one off piece mm -hmm. and you know, they're not going to be able to create that. And now we've got the three, three D printer, three D printers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now that's not wood, but it's, oh, who knows? Maybe it will be <laughs> one day. I don't know. But, um, so there's a lot of things out there, technology that seems to be sort of, you know, kicking me to the, <laughs> to the side, but 
um, you know, you just keep, as I said, you keep being creative and say, okay, well, with that, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Okay, start customizing, um, doing more specialty items. People who are building furniture, like furniture reproductions of the, you know, 18th century furniture, you know, like the ball and claw foot, that type of thing, mm -hmm. you need to be able to go to a CNC router and get that done. It's going to need to be customized. So that's a big part of my work, actually, is working with people who are reproducing these these um, period pieces, you know, like the Philadelphia high boys and that type of thing. Um, that's There are just certain areas that the CNC, at least for a long time anyway, they're not going to be able to touch. Mm -hmm. It's more, again, more customizable. But, yeah, there's a... The Society of American Period Furniture Makers. It's a society that a group of about 1,200 people who get together and they are all into doing the period furniture and the reproductions and learning all about those details. Um, so there are groups out there who are really still very interested in that. Now, I mean, the the future of the school, I mean, I don't see that stopping at all. I see that only growing the, the online school, mm -hmm. um, just because it's making it so available to people, you know, as long as you have internet connection and, uh, you don't even really need internet connection. You just need it to download the videos and you can watch it offline. And that's, that's a lot of the things, a lot of people go out to their workshop and they don't have internet connection in their workshop. So they sit there, you know, with the carving tools in hand and watch uh, a downloaded video, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I don't know exactly where, future is i mean i'm I, I see it being more teaching because i think there's a a turn from this technology based to re i guess reconnecting with the hand work mm -hmm. reconnecting with creating reconnecting with that that sense of satisfaction of creating something for yourself and whether it ends up being whether the students that i have are doing it for a career or just for that hobby it's, it's really becoming a very satisfying achievement of people just looking at saying, wow, I can do this. Um, I, I think there's a, it's like this backlash against uh, the technology, against the, the machines. And we've, we've spent too much time sitting, <laughs> sitting in front of the computer and not actually creating things and building and, and designing. And so I, I just sense that there's a lot more of that coming around the corner. Uh, people sort of rejecting that a little bit and needing to come back to it. Yeah, I definitely think that there's something about the tangible feeling of feeling wood in your hands and cutting or carving or sanding, whatever that is. I think is a very human, it, humans have a human need to do things with their hands, right? We're sort of built that way. I think it's just like reconnecting to being human, to being alive when you're physically doing it with your hands. So I yeah. think that um, I totally agree with you. I think people have gotten so far the other direction that when they go to one of your classes or one of my classes, that's basically what they're, they're like reconnecting with what it feels like to be human. I mean, that's why it's so powerful, right? So I think I totally agree. I think that experience, I, I don't think it's ever going to, you're ever going to get away from that because we're still human beings and we're going to want to do things with mm -hmm. our hands, <laughs> right? That's yep. why we have them. <laughs> so. yeah, and I, think it's, I think it's something that's very necessary. Yeah. And in order to just have that, 
yeah, uh, that's a good way of putting it. Just that sense of being human. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and it's it's a very exciting journey. I think I, I have this sort of dream of, um, <laughs> and this is one of those things I'm I'm actually voicing now. So once I voice it, I, I have love to that you're declaring it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, I'm picturing, and I've actually talked to my husband about this, and he's agreeable, but I'm picturing getting one of those toy hauler campers, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of camper that has the garage thing on the back of it. Oh, yeah. My husband would love to have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but not putting the toys in the, well, not right. my toys, but, uh, you know, a couple of benches in there, and I can continue to do the online school and video, and we can travel around, and it will be kind of a mobile workshop mm-hmm. and then even go around and maybe go to different cities and part of the actual video school be going to a certain area and carving that place's emblem or something and maybe even interviewing somebody from the city or something like that and um you know interviewing them and talking about what the emblem means and then showing how to carve it and actually having that as a lesson so I don't know. I, I love that. Oh my God, please come here. <laughs> Make California your first trip. Uh, I think that would be fabulous. I would totally sign up for a class out of a mobile uh, wood shop. I mean, I think that would be so. And again, that's what I love about what you're doing. It doesn't require electricity, right? It's not like you need a big, huge shop. They're hand tools. So it's pretty incredible what you can do without an actual powered power saw, right? Uh, exactly. It's really incredible what you can make. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a fabulous idea. I can think of lots of our listeners who would, <laughs> I'm sure we could fill a class if you came to California. Um, well, that sounds funny. That was going to be my next question was sort of what do you see yourself doing in the next couple of years? And uh, I think that sounds like a f- fabulous idea. Super fun. A, a great way to like combine travel and semi-retirement, but yet really fun and also still sharing your skills with the next generation and uh, interacting with people, which I think is incredible because most, you know, most woodworkers traditionally were always, you know, kind of loners in their garage, right? In their workshop by themselves. Oh, I can do that too. (laughs) Yeah. And you, and we all kind of like that, but it is kind of cool that like a modern version of that is you're like coming out of your cave and you're like sharing your skills with us. You know, I think that's a great combination. That's a, that's a beautiful life right there. (laughs) Um, Interesting to see how that, uh, that works out. Um, I have to convince my husband to, to quit his job and (laughs) yeah, exactly. So what was it like to write your first book? And why don't you give us like the title of the book and kind of what it's about? Sure. It's called Carving the Acanthus Leaf. And if you're not familiar with architecture or that type of design, um, the acanthus leaf is that very traditional leaf that pretty much, if you haven't actually named it, I'm sure you've seen it. It's the leaf that's on Corinthian capitals Mm -hmm. back from like 2,500 years ago. Uh, and it's also, you see it on picture frames. Um, it's that very typical leaf that's basically you just call it scroll. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's very scrolly, very, very, uh, delicate and elaborate. Mm-hmm. And it, it has really, really evolved. And, um, my book basically shows, um, you know, talks about a little bit of the history of it back again, started 2,500 years ago. That was the first place that they, you know, the Corinthian capital was the first time that they actually, uh, we're able to locate it as a part of the design. 
And um, then it moved all through history up to the present day, and it's still being used. And all the way through, you know, Italy, Greece, England, all of these areas, they continue this design through the Renaissance. And and so the, the it's interesting because it's a leaf, it's a design that just never went away. And when I first started writing the book, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I've carved quite a few of these, so I'll just write a book on something It hasn't really been written about. And when I got into writing it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, there is a lot here. And so I always tell people, you know, if you ever want to learn a ridiculous amount of things (laughs) that you never even imagined. (laughs) You'd be interested in. (laughs) Try writing a book on it. You'll learn much more than you ever thought there was. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. There's a I mean, I've got 13 chapters of different styles of leaves and if you look at look at the different leaves that are on there and that's on my website you can actually look on my website to see some of the different leaves they look completely different but they're all acanthus leaves Hmm. and um so it's really interesting i talk about through the you know as it evolved and changed and none of them what's funny is none of them really look like the actual real leaf which there actually is a real acanthus leaf Mm -hmm. it kind of looks like a thistle oh interesting Uh, yeah and so it's funny because there's only maybe a few of the times the periods that it was part of the design where it looks kind of like the original leaf (laughs) yeah They've just sort of taken this general shape and sort of lumped it into the acanthus leaf. But it's very, very typical. If Once you start actually looking at it and mm-hmm. recognizing it, you'll see it everywhere. Mm. I mean, you'll see it, you know, on brackets, on, you know, corbels, um, on picture frames, uh, you know, at, everywhere you look, even on modern furniture, you see it as sort of maybe a, you know, a, a turned lamp, you might see it as a mm-hmm. base you know, uh, around there. But it's funny because I, I talk to people who have read the book and they're like, oh, I see them everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. So it's obviously it's a very pleasing shape to human beings. <laughs> we like using it and putting it on everything. It, it must have because it's it stayed for so, for so many years. Uh, but it's it's been a, a fun journey. And I, I finished it last year. And you know, I was telling you about there's a third of my life this way, a third of my life that way. And my book was another third, mm-hmm. which kind of put me over the top. <laughs> yeah, for a while. It was too much almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of work. I, I thought I could do it sort of in my spare time. Uh, you can't write a book in your spare time. Note <laughs> <laughs> to self. Yeah. <laughs> So it's over now, though, and it's been it's published and it's out on um, I think you sell it on through your website mostly. Is that correct? Well, it's I've got a page on my website that talks about it, but actually you can purchase it through Lost Art Press. That's oh. the publishing company. It's just www.lostartpress. That's where um, the main selling is. And uh, but if you want to see some of the pictures of some of the leaves, if you go to my website, I've got a, a page there that just talks about the book and has some reviews about it. It's funny because I was telling um, <laughs> telling somebody recently, oh, well, you know, I, I finished my first book and my husband overheard it and said, you mean there's more? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you were already planning your next book. Yeah. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I imagine it gets easier, right? Like anything else, once you've done it once, it, it, now you're going to streamline your process would be my guess. Exactly. And you know what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, I this has just been a, a thrill to uh, talk to you. I know your work is just gorgeous. I can't wait for the listeners to see some pictures and see your website because it's it's just uh, it's just always really amazing to see someone that's so good at what they do. And uh, I love examples like that in life, you know, so thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm really going to hold you to that roadshow, <laughs> to your wood carving <laughs> roadshow trailer. Uh, I think that would be super fun to do. And we would love to have you come back on the show and talk about that when you finally, you know, when you get that together, we'd love to, to help with that. And uh, just thanks so much for sharing, you know, all your experiences and, and all your knowledge. Well, thank you so much. And I would love to be back and, and tell you all about my new adventures. Yeah, that's great. for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life Podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. I think there's a, it's like this backlash against uh, the technology, against the, the machines. And we've, we've spent too much time sitting, <laughs> sitting in front of the computer and not actually creating things and building and, and designing. And so I, I just sense that there's a lot more of that coming around the corner of people sort of rejecting that a little bit and needing to come back to it.